The following Roadshow podcast contains strong language and listener discretion is advised. Rowers tend to use invective and colourful language to explain even the simplest points. This Roadshow podcast is no exception. Welcome to The Roadshow. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, sacrifice, passion, fiction, ultimate goal. Glory, relentless training, pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello ladies and gents and welcome to another banging episode of The Row Show. We have the hype train coming out for World Champs. I know World Champs started today. But we thought it's a long week of racing and we thought we'd leave it till the last second to to really get into the rowing, get into chatting about it. And obviously, Jake Green is overseas in Czech Republic. He's racing. He's got his heat tomorrow. So today I have uh, another guest that we've had many times on the show, James Thompson. Welcome to the show. Very lucky to be back. And for the big one, World Champs 2022. Finally, it's here. Yeah, it's so cool. And I'm so excited to watch the racing. It was actually doing a bit of research and, and looking at the, the racing today, I realized that this is the first World Champs I haven't been to since 2011. That's mad. So it's been, it's quite weird to not be, yeah, not be in the team, not be racing this year. But as a gent who's more years out of it, you get used to it and you, you, you end up watching a lot more racing and you get to enjoy the beer a lot more. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I've been enjoying the the weekends to my to myself and uh, and yeah, just having a good time at home. But yeah, no, it's definitely a bit strange not being out there, not racing. And it's definitely when I'm watching the racing, that's when I'm kind of reminiscing and and thinking back to rowing and that's when you start to to miss it a little bit more. So, obviously we want to chat about the the week's racing coming up, but I thought uh, I thought by starting this episode, what we can do is something quite interesting because we've, uh, you have been out of racing for, for quite a while. You last raced in 2016. But I want to go through the world champs, the like prep building up to world champs, what the last you know few weeks of training is like, what it's like traveling there and, and the few days of, of training before you, you get going, and then kind of what racing is like uh, from an athlete's point of view. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that. So I want to just kind of go through these. I've got a few points I want to run through. Feel free to jump around. And if I have to, if I can add anything, we can, we'll go in from there. So should we start off with um, what is that last kind of last week or last two weeks of training like before you travel to World Champ? So like obviously at home or, you know, if you're on a training camp or wherever you are, building into to world champs what is that last little little bit of training like how intense is it and how how's that like energy feeling going into those last few days yeah i think there's a lot of guys out there who got a perception that it gets easy because of this thing called the taper you know um and i think that's probably a pretty big myth i think the volume of training definitely comes down but as a lightweight i used to still have to do quite a lot of volume to keep the weight and just to manage that and make sure there are no surprises. But I think there's a lot of um, intensity still in that last fiddle period. You know, there's a lot of um, shorter pieces, but they really get more and more important. So yes, there may be slightly less sessions um, and the sh- sessions are a little bit shorter, um, 
but that intensity really goes up and, and it really matters. I always believed it really mattered. Those those sessions really, really mattered and you had to um you had to really put yourself out there. Um maybe only three or four of them in the week really mattered to get that speed and, and get that intensity. Um but you had to take those as if they were a race. So it's almost like you've started racing already, like two weeks out. Like that's how important that last big um last three or four big sessions are at home where the prognostics really matter and the boat speed really matters. Um, so it's super focused on those days. And then it sort of almost starts prepping you into that world champs race week. Yeah. Like I remember it, it also being really exciting, a really exciting time because you, you kind of getting close to the business end of the season, you know, you've been speaking about that world champs for so long or that you know that final step of the the season and it's building up building up and now you're trying to like squeeze in that last little bit squeeze in as much as you can try and see if you can tweak the boat but without you know there's no going back to the drawing board at that point you've got to just go with it and and see how where you can kind of tweak the speed instead of finding speed yeah in the years we were really fast we we had amazing speed at that time you know and it was coming easily and we were putting out good scores and building confidence all the time um and then years when it's not quite going um your way and it's maybe you don't have quite as much speed as you would hope at that stage of the season suddenly it's like you're fighting for the boat speed or you're just a little bit this the piece feels good but the result wasn't quite as good um and it's just sort of you have to trust the process at some point and you have to you've got the speed you've got and you can t- tweak out another 1%, but you're not going to find another 2 or 3%. Um, so, yeah, it really is a high focus time, I guess. Um, but it's it's also, there's a lot of traveling. You often been on training camp. Um, you're prepping to fly across the world. Um, so there's lots of details going on in the background. You're packing up from training camp um, in those last few days and you, you've often been away from home quite a bit now. So your family would like to see you. You passing through. I remember when you guys went to Rio. Um, you passed through. You passed through Joburg. I don't think you even saw your wife Nikki. Yeah. Um, just so it's very. It's an intense time. Yeah. No. That that last little bit is is really crazy. I always find it. Um, it's stressful and exciting. It's kind of finding that balance is is really awesome. And then you fly. And you get to this new place. And what is your experience? You know, you have so many years of, of racing at these regattas. What's, what is it like getting to a new venue, getting on, you know, a new water, new boat sometimes? Uh, what, is that quite a stressful piece of, uh, of getting to, to the, the venue to find your feet kind of before you get racing? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And it's very different for all the athletes all over the world. You know, um, you take like a, the, the British team, they've often got a short hop across. Their boats have been pulled across on a trailer and they get back into the same boat they had. Um, there are less things that are different. It's a two-hour flight to most of Europe or two to th- four-hour flight. Um, whereas we were coming off an 11, 12-hour flight generally, um, same time zone. Um, you get the the Kiwis and the Aussies who have got time zone travel. So that's just a interesting stuff that's different. But for us... Uh, yeah, it was always getting a new, a new venue was very cool. Um, you you learnt a little bit on the way in, but at the end of the day, it was a two thousand meter track, and you really had to get focused on that. That's the job you were there to do. Uh, one of the best things we did in Rio for me was to go a little bit before and get the tourism piece out of the way. Um, but or like going before, like yeah, obviously you couldn't before. do that for world champs, but you can do that for for, for the games. Um, but yeah. 
all of that and the small changes into the boat, um, that's a bit of a lottery. We, towards the end of my career, we started having the same boat for the World Cups and World Champs, and that made a big difference um, because it just meant the first World Cup of the year, you were setting the boat up for yourself. By the time you came to World Champs, you were quite confident. Um, every now and then we got a lottery where you arrived expecting to get the same boat and it was completely de-rigged, like the pins had been stripped off and it was a complete fresh boat. Um, and that was quite a nerve-wracking experience. And then like, I, what I find there is, is it's such a tricky place because you've got this feeling of what your boat f- should feel like and then now you're in a new boat, which is going to feel a little bit different, but you're trying to get that same feeling again. And it's such a tricky place because if the coach rigs it properly it's still going to feel slightly different but if they make a mistake it's going to feel very different so you're trying to match that feeling trying not to like overdo over analyze the what that boat feels like and you i've i've done it and i know you guys have had problems where you get the coach changing things again and again and again over the week and it like as you get closer to racing it gets more and more stressful trying to find this feeling and now you've like have all these different settings and different changes and it's like kind of all muddling up together i think it's it's a very tricky place i I've, that's where i get where my nerves start to get rattled yeah i think feelings are the most important piece of the boat and they're the most dangerous thing on the boat and you get off a flight your body's stiff your body you've slept on a plane and then you get in the boat and you expect it to feel like home and the best thing is to like not change anything on the first day that's like the hardest piece of advice to follow because the next day you get into the boat and you've got these preconceived ideas that okay, this boat's not feeling right. Um, and then you feel like, oh, by not changing anything, we've lost a day. Um, and th- th- it's sort of the clock is ticking. You know, world champs is coming whether you're ready or not. So, I mean, there's a famous story with um, the Kiwi pair because they get given their brand new carbon uh, uh, wing rigger from Empacher. They get there, they row. It's their first session in the boat. They've just traveled from New Zealand. They row like once, maybe twice. And Hamish is like, no, this thing is hurting his back. It's too stiff. <laughs> so they went back to their, their aluminum wing. And they never rode the carbon ring. No, uh, we never did. saw them row the carbon ring again. Mm-mm. No, it was done for them. So that that's also a very good story. And then another story is, I think I'm sure I've shared it on the row show before where uh, I was going. It was 2009, uh, 2010. I was traveling to um, under 23s with John Smith. And he got stuck in the, he lost his passport halfway through. He had to spend three days in the, the airport whilst we went through and rigged the boat. So by the time he got to World Champs, instead of having four or five days to prepare and get the boat right, we had one day. And because we had been out of the boat for so long, we got in the boat, had this first session together, and we're like, oh, this feels incredible. So nice to be back. You know, we're so relieved that we we're back in the boat. We didn't even really think about like what it actually felt like because then the next day, the the day we, then the, the the afternoon or the day before the the heat, we get in the boat we rode and we're like no this thing is fucked <laughs> this this does not feel right it feels really bad and how are we gonna get um how are we gonna get it right to to get in the boat and then you know you're racing the next day so the pressure is on I remember AJ our coach had to. He stayed at the course and went through the whole boat, changed a few things. And that morning, we went for an early paddle before the race and we got on the water and we just touched off the jetty. And I remember I was so nervous and I touched off and I was like, oh no, it's fixed. It feels much better. But that was also in the era of the two-stay carbon rigger. Was that a two-stay carbon boat? Uh, no, but it was we were, rowing a, we were rowing a two-stay carbon boat at home. Okay. And then we rode the wing 
Yeah, so it was a very different. But I'm sure any coach listening to the podcast knows the two k the two stay carbon like particularly the Felipe one with the getting the pitch right on that rigger was getting the pin to zero was an absolute nightmare. I think uh, the South African coaches eventually dubbed it the devil riggers. Yeah, for sure because no, it was so difficult. But it, it, but the same problem though is like you have two. You have, as an under-23, you know, now when we're seniors, you're rowing the exact same boat, the same shape, the same rigor. Everything is built exactly the same. Whereas when you're under-23, you get given what you get given at home, and then you, you end up usually getting a nicer boat when you go to race. But then the boat's not the same. So, like, to match the settings and to match the, the feeling is no, never quite exactly the same. So that was one of our problems. Was now we're in a totally different boat. I remember... The AJ had a coach at Roger here, and he drove out to the dam and yeah, had I've his tape measure yeah. out. I, I remember these stories. Measuring our boat here, whilst AJ was measuring it, the boat there, and they were measuring things like from the stern to the uh, footboard, or from the bow to the footboard and the pin, <laughs> and then like all these different measurements to try and get us feeling right. And that's because that's where some of the biggest feeling changes are, is with the distance between the athletes the athletes you know if you have your f- your own personal setup perfect but you're like five centimeters further apart or closer together completely different boat i think that was one of the biggest things in moving to the lightweight four in 2012 when we moved to the smaller felipe shape is all four of us came much closer together the boat sort of didn't feel big enough i think um we, we all of us felt yeah this thing's tiny but one of the best things that did was brought all the athletes closer together and it really clicked for us um, but there wasn't, obviously it's a pretty radically different hell, but I think that was the single thing that made a huge difference after that. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting a bit sidetracked yet, James. Let's go back on the the last few days of racing. So like now, obviously like the last few sessions, what are they, what are those sessions like before racing starts? Obviously the pressure's coming down a bit. I mean, the intensity is trying to stay up, but the, the um, kind of quantity is definitely coming right down, but it's still quite hard. Yeah, it's... And and you so it just depends on the course. It depends where you are in the world. Like some of these courses we go to, I saw a picture um, of the rain course, and they were I think I counted like forty boats on the way up in one direction. You know that is not a pleasant place to row. It is going to just be a washing machine. Um, the boats you're not going to get a nice sensation out of the boat because you're going to be in wash the whole time. Yeah, it's going to be good physiologically. You're going to work. You're going to stimulate the muscles. You're going to do a whole lot of good stuff. But the feeling is going to be absolutely spent. And um, for me, it was always like you needed to get a couple, like even one lap a day where the boat, where the water was good. And that's why we always pushed to row really early in the morning. And we used to clash sometimes with like the course not being officially open and we were like standing on the jetty waiting for them to mm. open it. Um, but for me, that was always a really big thing to get one lap of the day where the boat felt normal and you could have it. And I think we st- we got better as I got older to say, well, you don't have to row that much get the boat feeling good and then sit on the ergo a little bit, sit on the bike a little bit. Um, yeah, that took a lot of time to get confidence. Yeah. Like only in my last years were we really confident enough not to do as much rowing as we normally would. And there's not that much rowing to do, you know, uh, as a lightweight a little bit more. Um, maybe you guys as heavyweights used to get an extra afternoon off on the in the week uh, before we get Yeah, I, I like to rest a little bit more coming straight off the plane is to really relax uh, and then build up into the week. And then maybe, I know the lightweights often do that like morning row before the race. And I wasn't a fan of that. I'd rather get a bit more sleep uh, because sometimes it takes you a long time to fall asleep. 
before a uh, big race and then if you but then once i'm asleep i can sleep in a bit on race day then it was i got a better sleep like that so i didn't like the early the race before but yeah i mean it's kind of very much dependent on the crew what the crew feels like just trying to get everyone kind of in the right headspace but then for you also having to weigh in how close are you sitting to weight uh and and, and how much work are you doing on the day of racing usually um, I think we've seen all the different strategies play out and I've tried uh, most of the strategies through the years. Um, but the weighing is a big thing, um, but it can't get bigger than the actual race. And um, I've seen, <coughs> I've stayed in hotels with guys where they're doing two and a half kilo sweats on the morning. Um, we used to aim at only five to 700, five to 700 grams um, on the day, sometimes a little bit higher than that, sometimes a little bit lower. Um, and it just depended morning, afternoon, you know, the afternoon weigh-in was actually easier to execute because you had more time to manage it. Um, but a morning weigh-in was nice to get it done and yeah. move on with your day. So very different. Um, you So locally at home, you, you know you have a bath. A bath is a very nice thing to just knock off 700 grams in. If you need to a very hot bath, a couple of minutes, um, you can get it done. But when you're in Europe, you're in a hotel room, suddenly you don't have a bath. You know, guys use saunas often. Yeah, but you don't always have a sauna in Europe. Um, and then they're like, cool, go for a run. What if it's really cold outside? You know, so you have to be adaptable. Um, and I think that's a really, uh, you're not going to have your perfect scenario. And that you actually, it's high stress. And you need to put the weight behind you and maybe live a little bit closer to weight. Um, easier said than done for with the Mac Mackie D's around. Give <laughs> us give us a, a horror story. What's the the most you've had to do, or one of the the stories that comes to mind when you think of of bad weigh-ins? Well, I've I've had the pleasure of coming stone last at under twenty threes, um, and yeah, we weren't a bad crew, but we weren't a lightweight crew, and we learned all uh, we learned all our lessons. Um, many of the listeners will know Pete Lambert from um, the GB squad. He 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 was part of the South African yeah, under twenty three heavy heavyweight rower. Yeah, Pete Lambert, the the very much heavyweight rower. Um, Maybe not the biggest heavyweight, but massively bigger than a lightweight. Um, so Pete was sitting, I remember uh, we were, Matt, so your brother Matt and I were in Pretoria and they were from the Johannesburg team. So we trained together quite a bit, but we weren't spending the evenings with them and stuff like that ahead of the competition. And I remember at the function we were leaving, like the awards, like the leaving dinner, I saw what, what Pete had been eating. And my eyes were very big to suddenly realize how little food this guy had been consuming to get to weight. And then at the race week, he was eating like two pieces of lettuce before the race. And I knew we were in serious trouble. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, and it didn't go well. Uh, th- as I said, we came stone last, but at least we learned our lessons. I feel like we learned all of our lessons in the one year. And we came last once and then we, we moved on to better things from there. Nice. Um, sorry to bring up the the tough times, James. No way, it was Pete. And uh <laughs> <laughs> so um, going through, obviously, the your r- race day routine is quite a big part of weighing in. So, what is your morning like? Uh, what is it like your race day routine? Yeah, routine is it's usually dependent on the on what time of day the race is, I guess. But we always try to have a morning row and um, get the engine going, get a little bit of feel. Um, but that would be wrapped up pretty warm, getting the engine. Um, hopefully you would wake up only 500 grams from weight. Um, you would eat a little bit of breakfast, get the body going, try to stay in the same routine. But then once you started rowing, it was really um, 
hopefully you would get get warm, get the body warm, get the sweat going, um, and even traveling to the course a little bit warmer than you had used to. But you also don't want to row so wrapped up that you can't feel the boat. So it's a, it's, it's a compromise there. Make sure you have a good feeling of the boat. And then hopefully two and a half hours before the race, you're at weight. Um, you've used the last hour before the race to really knock off. And then a solid, um, not a solid meal, but um, you, you, as a lightweight, you need to eat after weigh-in to a large degree. You're probably not going to have had enough food and enough liquid before that. Um, but you also don't want to overdo it and then feel bloated. So it really is a very – I used to find as the pressure got bigger and as we got closer to the end of the regatta, I started hoarding food. Um, so much so that my tog bag, like when I left the regatta after a final, had more food in it than I could possibly eat. <laughs> I don't think that was exclusive to you. And <laughs> it was definitely – it was something everyone noticed. As the light rates – because obviously our team is close. You know, we're a small, small group, so we're spending a lot of time – together and the light rates become very very funny about food as it gets closer and closer to to wane and to the end of the regatta because they start to like think oh you know what after this regatta i feel like you know these haribo chocolate croissants in my tog bag yesterday's chocolate croissants in my tog bag (laughs) they'll see something literally at the breakfast counter like chocolate croissants that they know they can't eat so they'll grab it and they'll just think yes tomorrow i can eat this thing (laughs) and and it starts weeks out and it starts to just build and build it was very funny the the behaviors and you get some guys like some pretty big records i think pete might have had the record on the like the heaviest lightweights to fly home so not a record you want to win um, but as a, when the guys are really battling, the weight comes back onto them so fast. They'd have a couple of drinks. They possibly overeat. No. It's 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 no, not a good piece of the sport, if we're honest. No, no. And uh, there's some horror stories out there because there's a few times, especially at under twenty three level, where people, you know, maybe they get selected and they actually grow a few centimeters or they grow a little bit whilst they, you know, they st- everyone's still pretty small and, and young at that point. As under twenty three, it's quite easy for someone to grow, but during between selection and world champs. Well, that's what happened to Pete. One hundred percent. Pete was a lightweight at selection, and by the time we got to world champs, he was not a lightweight, and yeah. that was like four months. So yeah, it gets things get uh, carried away there. But then, what about the difference between a world cup and a world champs? You know, you're going from a world champs where it's a full week of racing. You got days of rest in between, and it's much further. The final is further away from when you start that heat, and when it's a world cup, it's like you're there. Things are happening much quicker. You're probably not even flying. You're not even arriving at the venue much before, and then it's bang, 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 race, and you're done. Yeah, it's. I think the 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 difference between them is almost like, like it's huge. It's much bigger than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Um, I think the World Cup circuit probably favors the more established athlete, the better athlete, um, quicker recoveries. So uh, you know, I think there's more chance of having an upset of a, like one of the favorites at a world champs than there is at a world cup because to come through the heat, to come through the semi-finals day after day, um, the best athletes are going to recover there a little bit faster. Whereas the world champs, I think there's a little bit more chance of an upset. Um, you have to be on form for longer. You know, it's a long way from the heats to the finals. Um, the best guys possibly are taking the heats mentally. You can switch off in the heats a little bit more. Um, not quite as intense. I think we saw a little bit of that today. Um, but it's a completely different world. I think the Olympics over a week makes lots of sense um, because you've got big crowds um, spread out, although it's a very small regatta. Um, but like a world champ spread out, I get it, guys want to like prepare for what the Olympic schedule is. 
Um, but when I saw today the guys racing past empty grandstands, uh, spread over full, uh, it's actually eight days of racing. Um, I'm not sure that there's like the, uh, the need to really spread it over eight days. Um, but I get it. The Olympics, yeah, for sure. Eight days is very cool. Um, the grandstands are packed every day. Um, but it's it's just, for me, they're basically different sports or they're different mindsets that you have to come into it. A World Cup, if you come into a World Cup and you're a little bit off, you're a little bit off the mark. It's Friday afternoon. Yeah, you're not you're not coming back. Yeah, you you're racing your heat on Friday, and by Saturday ten o'clock you can be out the race on a C final. You know, but if you're unlucky, you're out the race on Friday. Like if you have a bad like progression, you can be out the race on Friday afternoon. Yeah, done. The it's it's a very tricky place though, and I think the, there is a huge difference. It's hard to see watching. The racing, like even today, it's much nicer when you can see the racing, the video of the racing coming down the track, and you can see, okay, no, these crews are relaxed. These are not; these guys are not under pressure, or these guys are, are giving it a bit of stick because you can see the times are all over the show. And then I've done a lot of racing, like when when you're under pressure at the semi final and you're really having to lay it out there to get into the final. Uh, a lot of my, I would say, my like Lucerne regattas and things as I as I was going. Uh, through the through my career were like that where I'm having to lay it all out in the semi and then get once you're in the final like it's the pressure almost comes off because you you've got nothing you've made you've done your hard race basically you have you've put it all out there if you can just try and do that again you might be able to beat one or two crews but you're not boxing with the top guys when I'm feeling when we're on form you know like at Rio when we're coming through the the semi and it's you're in so much more control. You're in such a different place. It's like you're racing the semi just to get through to the final. And, you you know, you're in control. I remember Sean was not feeling 100%. So we were trying not to to really go into a sprint. We were just controlling. And then we saw Hungary, Hungary starting to sprint at us. We just kind of lifted up. It's it's a different world when you're, like, on form and you're managing to get through the heats and the, and the semis under control as opposed to, like, you having to floor yourself to to make it through. Yeah, so London for me, we were under control. Like, I remember finishing the semi final, and we had days gap there as well. But I remember finishing the semi final being like, cool, golden, no no pressure there whatsoever. Um, or not, like, I felt like we had, hadn't sprinted, we had been at like 85%. Like, that's what you want your semi, your, your Olympic semi final to be 85%. You're smiling. But if I compare that to Amsterdam, like, we had this amazing heat where we were styling in the heat, and then we came into the quarterfinal and we made it through the quarterfinal by the skin of our teeth yeah, I mean, all yeah, in. Full sprint. Like yeah. all in. And like then we had a day's recovery and then we went again in the semifinal and we had to go all in again in the semi. But we only had, that was an afternoon race followed by a morning race. It was really, really tight. And I think we did really well to manage the recovery. But that's almost, you have to switch back into like World Cup mode mm-hmm. where you're like, there's no time to think between the semifinal and the final there. It's just execute your recovery straight out, like straight straight off the race. Make sure you do this, like you don't want to be in there for hours, but do as best recovery as you can. Get home, get massaged, get fed, get showered. You're just managing your weight as lightweight, and then you get back to the course the next morning and do it all again. So and suddenly, much more like, a, and that's like a World Cup. But World that's Cup also where lightweight rowing is so exciting, is because it's close. So like, there's you know a lot of heavyweight races. There's bigger gaps, so you know if a crew is on form and you and you you're in control, you know it's it's more straightforward. Whereas lightweight rowing, even if you you know like lightweight women's double, there are ten people that can win that race. 
10 crews that can win that race often. And yeah, so the margins are tiny. people in the, in the final. The margins are tiny. Yeah. The margins are absolutely coming down to recovery between races and stuff like that once you're at that level. But I always found the semi-final worse for me, like from an emotional point of view. I always find more pressure in the semi-final because I felt like if you get through the semi and you're in a final, that's where you get your shot. That's where you can really enjoy the race and just give it everything you've got to try and get on the podium. Where And it feels like the season feel for me feels worth it. feels like... You've achieved that that kind of quality level that you've been training for the whole time. If you make it into the A final, whereas I feel like if you're a B final, that kind of I don't know, always feel a bit like I've let myself down a bit when we kind of. So that's where I feel the pressure in the semi is. I feel like it's it's so the pressure comes off for me almost once I get through semi into A final. Yeah, the the only pressure more than a semi final in like a Lucerne or a World Champs is the only person you feel more than that is a B final in Olympic qualification. Yeah, yeah. That's the only place that gets more than a semifinal. So there are a lot of jittery guys out there for World Cups, you know, for, for semifinals, and you don't want to be, uh, even if you're a favorite, you know, you don't want to be the guy who, who, you don't want to be the team that got it wrong in the semi. And every single regatta, there's that team that, like, there's the favorite team that got it wrong in the semifinal. And there's a lot of pressure to be there. And if you're the guy scratching around for, you know, a bronze medal, a silver medal along the way, yeah, the semifinals where you have to be on your game because if you're not in the final, you don't got a shot, eh? And you can't be, as much as you want to be strong enough to like not have to empty the tanks going into that, into the, at the semi, you have to be mentally prepared for any, for, for it all the time because if you go into the semi and you're like, oh, you know, we can just save ourselves a little bit, game over, you're never going to make it through. You've got to be ready for the, the full ball all the way down the track. Yeah, no, it's all in. Uh, it's very seldom you come through a semi without a sprint. Um, I've had one or two of it, and it always resulted into good weekends. If you do manage to get through the semi, it means you're in really good form. But 95% of the semis out there, guys are on the limit. It's a very good indicator of what's going to come off the finals. Um, it's probably a good time to get some betting in if you, if you could, if you really <laughs> analyze the semi results because it's seldom that anyone's left anything on the table. Yeah. And then before we move into the, the rest of the, the, the our episode, I just want to chat about the like length and your intensity of your warm-up. So obviously you're going to get to the course a bit before your race. Then you have to weigh in, what, two hours before? Two yeah. hours, yeah. And then does your you obviously done a bit of running or you know sweating before that. Then does your warm up you eat and drink and then does your warm up start straight away? Um you, you you tend to if you've got your weigh in right and you you've mm. weighed in two hours before, which is ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, we spoke about the bad days, let's talk about a good yeah, uh, like a good race. Ninety nine percent of the times weigh in opens, you stand on the scale and it's done. Because remember it's not like a surprise. You've been able to weigh in at the hotel before you left, you've got a calibrated scale, you know that you know what you leave the hotel at. Hopefully you don't even have a hundred grams to do on the bus right in. Um and by the time you're standing on the scale, you arrive at the course, the first thing you do is go check that there's no difference between the scales, and it's probably two and a half hours before, and you know you're there already, so it's done. There are no surprises. when you If, if you're surprised uh, two hours before that you're not at weight, you're an idiot. Like, But anyway, so those last... <laughs> sorry if anyone's been surprised on the scale. <laughs> um, and not only lightweights. Yeah, but then you get this like downtime, and it's... It's quite weird because you're like super focused in the way and suddenly behind you and you can now just purely focus on the race. Um, and that's it's very it's a very focused time. You find a quiet spot 
Um, but I like to get moving 60 minutes before. So that gives you an hour. Um, and then it's a slow, gradual build-up of more and more intensity, um, starting on the ergo, starting with a jog, depending on what you've got available to you, ideally the bike. Um, and you build up, you're just slowly, gradually building up. For me, that's the way I saw it. Slowly, gradually building up the intensity. Um, and then once you're on the water, we would normally go on the water about 30 so how, minutes before. How many, if you're doing on the ergo, how many Ks you're going on the erg before you get on the water? Can well, you remember back that far? You're probably doing about 20 minutes. Um, and it's, it's, so maybe it's not like steady state, it's on and off a little bit. Um, but it's, for me, it's probably more mental than physical. You know, you slowly building up, if you're feeling it, if you're feeling good, you might just push on like a 20 minute paddle. If you sort of getting yourself towards that point, you might do five minutes to a stretch and then 10 minutes, but that's pretty unstructured getting yourself towards that. But once you're in the boat, that was always the same routine structured and that was always I, I think it was somewhere between 30 and 35 minutes on the water um and it's so it depends on the rowing course depends how much rowing you can fit in how long are the lengths how many turns are you going to have to do and by the time you've got to the yeah. finals you, you you tend to know exactly how many lengths you're going to do yeah. you know where you're going to have a have a breather um but it's yeah more and intensity. the different boats are a little bit different as well because if you're in like a four it's those short laps you eat them up to to almost too quickly. Whereas if they're in the double, that's probably takes a little bit longer each lap. You can afford to do a bit more in the water. Yeah, and then like in the double, you can exactly like the four isn't very practical to do like very short laps. So maybe you do a little bit more in the ergo, um, and and you get into the boat a little bit more primed, ready to go, and it's really just bursts every short lap. Like Lucerne, Lucerne's warm up area in a four. No, not ideal. Uh, it doesn't give you much time to to feel the boat out in steady state. Um, it's pretty much just good for bursts. Okay, and then what did you did you usually have a pee at the at the start line? No, no, that's your brother, but <laughs> I can hold my bladder. <laughs> <laughs> I always struggled as well. I always uh, the nerves and the you know you you ready to go and just have a a and you rode with side. Sean, so yeah, so yeah both a of fountain us going out of that. Both place. of us, pretty bad. Um, okay, so James, that's I think that's actually against FISA regulation, so you shouldn't tell people you were doing that. Oh, no one ever said anything to me. In the Lake Lucerne, you must... No, no. No, no, no. No, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm sure it's against the rules. <laughs> the Okay, so, I mean, I think that's given us a really good insight into that build-up into racing, kind of what that week is like. So now, when you're watching racing this week, really look at these athletes, look at... Think of what they've been doing, what their prep's been like. Look at how, especially now we've got video for semifinals and quarterfinals. Like we've got to be watching and seeing how crews are going through them, how hard they're racing to that 1K. The 1K time is always really good to compare early on between uh, between athletes and between crews and then kind of seeing how hard they're working at the end, how much they're getting pushed. And I think that's where the interesting part of the early racing in the week is going to be. It's not on the sprint at the finish line for, for these early races. It's about like the tactical game that uh, athletes and crews are playing to get to the final in the best place. Yeah, it's not only like the time to the thousand. It's a pretty important factor, you know, but I think the speed the guys are doing the second 500 at, how much they're being pushed, who else is around them. Um, you know, if a crew is the fastest through the five through the thousand, but they've had someone right, it's only one person goes through, so you've also got to look at like how mm. many people qualify. Yeah, progression is so if, if you've got a progression of one person goes through and you're the second fastest crew to the thousand, but the guys who were the fastest crew to the thousand had no one pushing them, then oh, maybe you're not quite there where you think you are. 
um, or that crew that you're analyzing. So you, you really need to understand the progression system. You need to look at what's happened in other heats and really look at all the bits and pieces. But that's what makes the, the championship racing so rad to slowly watch it unfold. And like for me, the my favorite progression is quarterfinals. Like as an athlete, when you, when you had the big entries. As an athlete. <laughs> the, the That's quarter a lot final, of racing. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like it's very secure racing. It's, it's, it's predictable. It's less it's likely a, to have an upset. Yeah, like you're not going to get like sidelined by like someone playing games or something. You know, you get the wrong draw and it's more even. Where's my, because I, I, I think in the pair, it is often very close between quarterfinals and then like if you just less than 24 crews, you get the like death progression of it's top one through and everyone else into reps and then the reps are top two through. So like straight away, you're like counting big on like your draw and your lane draw and who you get in your rep. It's like- So I think the quarters are better, but you have this weird heat. You have this weird yeah, first round where you can end up racing like, what is it? It would be yeah. It's like so many races just to get rid of like it would one be like crew. five or six races to get rid of one crew or something yeah. like that. And like when you end up in that situation, you got six races happening to eliminate one crew. Like that's and then, oh, and then you got reps as well. So that just to get rid of one crew. Yes, but quarter. I feel like it's uh, for like AB semi for like the top twelve crews. It's better. Hundred percent. It's it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the fairest. Progr- it's for sure. It's the fairest progression because it's the other progression is we're not here for fairness. We're here I for know, good racing. I know, but that's what I'm saying is like, but it also does even it out. So like, by the time you get into your semi, you now have a very good seed of like who's and people have been put into like the right categories. I feel like you're for sure less upsets in the yeah. quarter in the yeah. quarter p- 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 progression. Okay, but James, you've just been last weekend to World Masters because obviously South Africa's hosting World Masters 2023 Rudaplat Dam. And you went across and actually ended up racing last weekend. Tell us what you why did you go and what did you what did you learn? Yeah, and so why on earth did you race? <laughs> yeah, so I'm involved in the organizing committee here in South Africa and so is my wife Carolyn. Um so the the whole team went over. Um, we managed to only go over for a few days. And just to experience the event, understand a little bit more, meet with a couple of the key partners, um, such as the boat builders, um, the f- obviously the, the FISA um, the FISA team or the World Rank team involved in it. Um, and it was fantastic to understand much more. I've never been to a World Masters. Um, and honestly, I think it's one of the most awesome pieces of World Rank that I've been exposed to. Um, three and a half thousand athletes. Like, there's no World Champs. There's no World Cup that gets anywhere near those numbers. Um, and it really was like more mainstream rank. I think it should be rebranded because um, none of none of us have ever thought about it to say let's get a bunch of our mates together because we're older than 27 now we could go like none of us have thought about it to jump in a boat and go maybe it's got more exposure in Europe and guys understand a little bit more but as a South African I'd absolutely obviously I've got exposed a little bit over the last two years but that's one of the most amazing properties in world rowing and I think it should be rebranded to like age group world champs or club world champs or something like that you race for your club um, an amazing jewel on the Saturday night, um, which possibly we did a bit too much. Um, we, we possibly won the party on Saturday night. I thought you were going for work, James. Yeah, but we were there to learn about it. and so uh, you had That's the full experience. Ex- yeah, immersed in the experience. Um, and then... And had you already started drinking by the time you entered your race? Is that why you entered? No, we were sober when we entered, but we weren't necessarily not recovered. Jet, yeah, not recovered from your jet lag. We weren't recovered from Saturday night's jet lag when we raced on Sunday. Um, 
which is the first time I've ever raced an international regatta hungover. Um, in fact, it might have been the first time I've raced hungover. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the rowing didn't go wonderfully well, but it was an amazing experience on the water. The warm-up was very good, um, but the racing wasn't great. F- but that was purely our own fault. I'm sure Carolyn was like super excited, cool, get to row with the Olympic gold medalist, you know, going to pull me down the track. And then... Carolyn won her gold medal the <laughs> night before. She didn't need to win her gold medal on the day. <laughs> and then bitterly disappointed in, I'm sure, your performance <laughs> the next day. <laughs> I, I don't think she, I, I don't think I was in the prime of my life, but uh, I'm pretty sure she wasn't anywhere near hers either. But we'll hopefully be back, and maybe we'll race uh, mixed doubles again at Riddleplot Dam next year. So we w- South Africa is hosting it, and yeah, I think having seen what we saw there, um, a very cool event. But I think South Africa will be something very special and very different to what the guys experienced there. Um, and, you know, we've got a whole lot of stuff. We're confirming the, the tented village that will be right there so you could roll out of your tent to, your, to the boatyard. Um, your walk, if you want to stay in a hotel, there will be buses. Um, so there's much more happening in South Africa than I think a normal World Masters. Um, and a lot of my time there was talking to boat builders, so you will have boats to race. Um, there will be a rental fleet of boats. Um, I don't think – I think it's a bucket list event, and it's probably the only time a lot of international roads would ever – get to South Africa. And I, I mean, I was out at uh, Rudderplot last week. I was l- watching some of the, the Tux guys, the university cruise row, uh, and they build up to our university boat race. And I think being away from the dam, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of a different perspective. You know, it's a place that you go to literally every single day of your life. So you get a bit numb to it, but it's an incredible venue. I mean, I always thought it's our best, one of the best places to row in South Africa. You know, it just feels awesome. There's good water. There's good weather. Usually, um, nearly all the time, there's good good water to row on. You're in the middle of a game reserve, so you know there's buck and and animals on the side of the the lake that you like you can see all the time. But obviously, as an athlete, I only probably thought about it once or twice in my whole career. But then being there the other day, I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty cool spot to be training or or racing. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just an unbelievable place the altitude's high so i think people will will suffer a little bit the lungs will burn when they race down the track but it's a very special place to row the weekend before i went to world masters i was 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away from the venue and i saw most of the big five animals i saw a uh, a cheetah kill um a cheetah in so this is in Dinon King Game Reserve. Um, we saw the most amazing giraffe. We saw a whole lot of amazing stuff going on, um, and that's only twenty minutes away. You know, and that's big five game. That's not even like small game. Um, so it's just a completely different experience to what anyone will experience at a European regatta. Um, and I know they've been World Masters in the States and everything, but this is a unique experience that. Um, will be a once in a lifetime. So we're really looking forward to hosting. Um, the response we got in um, in France, Le Bon, was absolutely amazing. Um, the number of people who were signing up, um, yeah, and accommodation bookings will probably open up in the next few days. Um, and then we're going to be ready to rock and roll. We're looking forward to hosting everybody. Yeah, no, it's going to be very cool. I think the Row Show will have to do like a, a live uh, event or we'll have to do a big meetup, I think, for all the, the listeners to to meet and Kind of, I don't know, we'll do something for sure. Having everyone in South Africa is going to be awesome. The bar is in my portfolio, so you are welcome. You will find <laughs> us at the bar. Oh, he's talking about sponsoring it, James. That's it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, and then, oh, huge shout out to to Martin Cross, uh, legendary commentary today from day one. 
uh, Martin and Greg out in the, the commentary booth really setting the standard and just so much info. I really have enjoyed this whole year. It's been nice because there's so many new athletes, there's so many new names. And when you're watching the racing, they're just batting all the names and the, the athletes off and just giving the, the, the viewer just so much info. So I really enjoyed it. And huge shout-outs to the, the row show, which is always epic. I know there was a little bit of a query about the altitude and training in Lesotho. So our team usually goes up to Lesotho uh, earlier in the year. So it's quite a it's quite a cold place in winter. And obviously, uh, European summer is South Africa's winter. So usually earlier in the year, either December time, we do a first camp. And then like March, a second camp, three weeks up in the mountains there. Very remote, 2,000 meter altitude. So it's really good training for the the blood and, and just getting the, the body kind of working harder for for that oxygen and then our training our standard training venue the one we've been talking about Riddleplot Dam that's at 1,600 meters so it's also pretty high um, and that's close to Pretoria and uh, Johannesburg which is where we kind of do most of the training but it's also high but it's not quite I think the 2,000 meter is like from a science point of view it's a much better altitude training height than 1,600 meters. Yeah and you can definitely I feel more of a difference between like going from Rudderplot at 1,600 to 2,000 than I do from sea level to 1,600. Yeah. So it's still like, it's it really is, Lesotho is a very special venue. I think you mentioned earlier that the, the team hasn't actually been there this year. Yeah, they haven't been up um, to Lesotho this year. So they spent a lot of time in Zanin uh, this year, which is our low altitude training venue, which is, so usually the high altitude is earlier on in the season, March time, like, uh, in the like more endurance part of the the training block, and then when the intensity grows goes higher, that's when we're going down to to sea level and training there at uh, at the Zanin Dam. Water's nice and warm. The weather's warm there because it's winter in South Africa, but that's a very humid and and warm area of South Africa. So training is absolutely perfect. And then the yeah, and then we kind of move from there to to world champs. So the team, I think, through. Maybe the changes in the coaching, you know, they've had so much change in the coaching and the the kind of structure, support structure of the team. I think maybe they just thought going up to Lesotho was a step too far. And hopefully, I'm sure they'll be back there, though, in the next few years. Yeah, it's a logistical operation to get up to Lesotho. There's, there's very little there. There's there's accommodation and there's food, but you bring in your own gym, huh? you bring in your own ergos, you bring in your own boats. That's why it's sort of only the South African team has really done it because we have the local infrastructure. Um, to pull multiple trailers over the hill. Yeah. Because um, there have been quite a lot of foreigners that train in South Africa, but none of them have ventured into Lesotho. Yeah. I've heard some whispers of some crew, some countries maybe coming out, but uh, I don't know if I can, I'm at liberty to talk about it yet, but I'll see. If it if it comes up, I'll sure be going up to Lesotho for... Because I also want to go up there as like more casual when I'm not training, when I'm not training so flat out because there's such cool mountain biking. There's like some... There's like a few landmarks there, like this huge mountain pass that I just want to take my bike to to go cycle because I really want to do it. <laughs> and I could never do it as an athlete. Back when I still had some form before I got uh, into the working life, I, I had some dreams of doing some pretty long missions across Lesotho. Uh, it's a very special place and, as you say, high mountains. And because of the rowing, we always got time to dream of what's possible. So, yeah, yeah I'm with you. We're going back. So, um, going on, the sprint race sounds absolutely insanely epic and i am so excited for world rowing to be hosting this sprint race welcome to the 21st century world rowing you know here we are 
like an epic display race, cool, 2,000 meters, something different. Um, only retired rows, though. Only only <laughs> retired rows. But yeah. you have the OGs, though. Yeah, oh, my God. Big yeah. names, boy. So I think this is going to be a, a sculling week to remember because the men's single and women's single are going to be banger events this week. They're going to be great to watch. Um, and now we're adding in a single sprint race with, like, you know, Cynic, Tufta, Drysdale, uh, stock. There's so many big names there. It's going to be incredible to watch. This is like one of the raddest things I've seen. Like before, this was always done as like a secondary event, like a city sprint or something like that. But to put this thing live stream, you know, I I, I don't know how much of the racing I'm going to get to watch. I've got two little kids, but I'm telling you, I'm going to get to watch this one. That's for so, sure. So James, who's going to win this race? Odd. <laughs> There's only one winner of this thing. <laughs> Olaf Tufta is a machine. Uh, he, he happened to row in amongst yeah. his life. Uh, the, I, in my head, there's only one person who could keep the conditioning post-retirement. Uh, like, the whole lot of their backs, I suspect, might not make it down the track. But uh, Olaf Tufta is my 100%. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in. Boy, the that's my that's my call. We were joking about it yesterday. We were saying that Olaf, now that he's retired from rowing, he probably has so much more time to train. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. For sure. He's doing longer hours than he was before. For sure. <laughs> And probably more weights. He's probably preconditioned. Yeah, and he was already good at sprinting, so I think he's gonna be he's gonna be such a banger to to watch. But I think you know, Cynic will not a sprint, and I don't know. You, it depends how much yeah, training these, not a bad shot. these other guys have done um, to see where they where they come in. But I definitely put my money on on Olaf. So I mean, Jay, uh, James, we've been chatting for quite a while, and we haven't even got to the the racing. But this is all you, mate. We, <laughs> we, we're only going to touch on a little bit of the racing today. Our plan is to have another episode. We're going to release Thursday evening um, just to, because there's so much happening in the racing and, you know, we need to see these heats. We need to see the, the racing coming down the track and go from there and decide where that kind of fits in and how the, and what we're going to look forward to in the, in the finals day. I'm really excited to watch it. And it was so cool watching racing today. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get any work done this week with racing happening all all through the week. But, J- James, moving on to today's racing, let's just focus a little bit on, on what came down the track today. Um, the men's single, I mean, Oli really came out with, uh, with purpose today. I think he had a very disappointing European champs where he kind of looked like he was all in it, going to take that win easily. I was a huge... Uh, I was backing him hugely going into the week. And then he kind of just had this little bit of a wobbly at the end, which I thought was a bit funny because I thought that he was, you know, I thought he had a bit more kind of in the tank, even just watching him down the track. And it looked like he ran out of juice before uh, Stefanos um, and Melvin. So it was, it's a tricky one. And I think that this is going to be an absolute humding. I think there's going to be people that potentially can win medals that won't make the final in this race. Yeah, I, I think there's so today wasn't flat. Today was pretty tricky conditions. Okay, sure, the single was earlier on in that equation, but is that not one of the best rough water con- performances we've seen from Ollie? Yeah, like you know, it's fastest time, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just think that that's him performing in rough water for the first time. Yeah, not under pressure for sure, um, and not probably not not under pressure though. I mean, it's not like. Yeah, he wasn't under pressure to to make the the the, the quarterfinal, but he yeah. yeah. But it'd be awesome to see like him in rough water 
come out front and just do the business come come Sunday or uh, I suspect that'll be Saturday or Sunday. I want Stefanos to win actually. And tailwind conditions. I, I don't know how the wind continues. It looks like the wind will well, settle Stefano down. Stefano showed us at Europeans. He showed us that he can row Anything. in any any conditions, and I think he's really got a point to prove. Because I think a lot of people feel like his win at Tokyo was like a bit of fluke, and uh, I think he's got a big point to prove. So it'll be great to see him win. I think Graham Thomas has a huge opportunity of winning as well. Melvin uh, Trela from the Netherlands also a massive opportunity of winning. Kittle Borsch, second in the heat to to Graham Thomas, but also looking like he's coming back on form. He does this kind of every year, though. He always a little bit struggles at the beginning of the season, and then his, his last two months of training always seem to to put him put him right. So I, I won't count him off at all. So oh, I think it's going to be – it could be the race of the regatta again. You've got more names listed than spots in the final. I know. That's wild. And it's, you know – it's, it's what we need. I think again, it's just this is going to be a, a the race of the the regatta to watch for me. I think I'm really excited to see what comes down the track. Semi-finals are going to be absolutely amazing. But yeah. then I don't know. Do you have anything to add? What about Emma Twig in the women's single? Yeah, I think Emma Twig. Uh, she's a she, she. I think she's become a mom this year, if I'm not mistaken. Max respect to to come out and then. First race back. I think she was planning on racing Lucerne, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and she got COVID. She got COVID. She she got. I think it's. I'm pretty sure it was COVID, and it was before Henley. So she was supposed to come and race Henley Lucerne, but and then she couldn't. But who was she racing with? Because is that because I saw she had a status that said like, um, it turns out the pregnant one was the reliable one. So I think the lady she was with or the girl she was racing with at Lucerne scheduled wasn't able to go through. Was she racing the single there? Yeah, she was into the single for Henley. Where was she racing in a double? Was she not racing yeah. in a double anywhere? No, I don't think so, James. Okay, maybe I'm reading but I think wrong status. You'll see some of our, our patrons coming with yeah, the, they must the come real with the truth. And James, but Max Respect, she's in good form, back, first race back. That heat looked calm, cool, collected. Um, and yeah. such cool, so cool to see so many new names. You know, you've got Australia, Netherlands, Germany, Alexandra, Carolyn. Uh, Tara, Rigney. So I think there's new names coming into this into the sport, and I think it's going to be incredible to to watch them come down the come down the track. Then moving and and I I mean I think Twig is going to win it comfortably. She looks so strong and so good today. Um, and I think a lot of the names have moved into the doubles into yeah. I, I think there's been a l- the women's oh, field. But Cara Cola had a problem though. So she raced. She came second in the heat, which put her through to the rep because it was top one through. But something happened in the, you know, you couldn't see the first 500. But she had like a good start. And then when they cut to the the 500 meter mark, it was, she was like a bit further back. And then she had like a crack of next 1500 where she caught up to, um, crack of, to, to, you know, she caught up over the race. So I think Cora Cola is also going to be a big name to, to watch out. Um, then moving on. Lightweight means double. Oh. Time, talk to us, James. I don't even know what even to say about this event. It baffles me. No, it's we. I think we're seeing like a similar like Kiwi pair domination sort of style from the Irish at the moment. Um, the they are just a class ahead of the rest of that field at the moment. I feel really bad. Um, I know it's like a lot of the other guys, and they're really good athletes, but I just think these guys are a step ahead. They really, really are. Um, so 
I, I can't see it going any other way. I can see like an epic race for the medals, but I just can't see anyone rattling that Irish. I think they're cool, calm, collected. I think they have the engine to to back up that sort of mindset. And yeah, they're rowing a lot better than they were. Like if I if you look back, go watch like a twenty. 2016 2015 race uh, these guys now are really smooth they're like they defy all the coaching i ever got given <laughs> <laughs> and the kiwi pair sometimes said some of the same things eh? <laughs> yeah. but the okay so who's your silver bronze call it out now yeah italy for silver uh norway looked pretty good as well for me in the heats um i think it's you got island italy switzerland for me time will tell yeah Time will tell. It's early days. We'll see how the semis go. I think let's talk on Thursday night. Then, uh, talking about lightweights though, lightweight women's double didn't race today, but lightweight women's skull race. And I see Jackie Kittle from New Zealand racing in the lightweight women's double, oh, single and lightweight women's double. This so is the maddest thing I've seen at a World Champs. Up at a World Champs into two events, and she was absolute domination today. Okay, so she's clearly like on good form. She's doing lots of stuff well, but. The semi-finals are on the same day. We saw what happened. Was it the Australian woman at um, was it the games or oh, a lot of the a lot of the the women these days? I mean, are they doubling up? Every yeah. So I don't understand. As we were talking about this earlier, like I don't understand how the women are doubling up everywhere and they're seeing opportunity to get two medals to like really capitalize on good form. But the men, we just see absolutely none of it. Like, how can we have two sides of the sports that are so similar yet? The doubling up is completely accepted in women's and it's hardly ever done in the men's. I just don't understand that at the moment. But just to go back to Jackie, the semifinals are going to be on the same day. Like the same day. James, they're like an hour, 20 minutes apart. I don't know that I have seen a lightweight double up at a world championships in my time involved with the thing. So I can't think of a single example. Semifinal for the singles first at 9.40 and the semifinal for the... Um, for the double is at 11 a.m. So an hour, 20 minutes apart. So that, I, I th- we were looking at this uh, when you we were looking at these numbers and I think it actually is going to play into her hands because if they were further apart, she would have to weigh in, race, weigh in, race. Whereas now she can actually weigh in, weigh in, race, race. Yeah, so she's going to weigh in late because you get an hour that you have to weigh in during an hour. So she has to weigh in between 7.40 and 7.80. Uh, 7.40. 40 and 8.40 for this lightweight woman's single. But if she weighs in as per normal for the lightweight woman's double, she'll she'll tick both boxes. Mm. So it actually works out pretty well on a weigh-in front, but it is going to mean that she loses like that 20 minutes like post-weigh-in for the single. But that's the least of your problems when you've got to get literally your warmer, your warm-down from the single semifinal is going to be your – she's going to step out the boat and step into the next one. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's something maybe Martin can answer in, in some of the racing, but like, who is planning the schedule and how, and do the teams have any influence? Like, because that looks kind of perfect to me. If you, if you had to plan it, I would say that's what you would want to do. I don't think the teams have any influence. Do you think they have it? no influence you, or do you think that there's... You have to pick your schedule like that it doesn't clash. I know, but I'm just saying that that looks so perfect and you don't think like a coach can have a quiet word with someone from FISA and be like, look, if this, if we can put these two races 
Yeah, I, I don't you know. You can always have a quiet word whether it does anything or I, not. I'm just saying, I don't know how that's how it all works and like what happens if you plan your whole season to race two events and then they put it on the same time and it's a clash and you can't actually race it. Yeah, like you can't like you can't physically Will get they back move up to the start. And you know, and and what happens? Because oh, obviously, more, to answer for more and more people are way, are doubling up, and you're going to have more and more times of chances of this happening of like a clash. And what do they do? Will so they by the time she gets back to the jetty, okay, from her race, she is going to have about sixty-five minutes to start, and that's if she does no warm down on the water. That's just turning around at the finish, paddling back to the boatyard. She's got 65 minutes to start. Jeez. But she's a machine though. So I'm backing her gold, gold. For sure. Wow. Kiwis don't do that. When they're not in good form. They don't form. do it when they're not in good form 100%. as well. Okay, so going back to today's <laughs> racing. We don't have that much uh, more time yet, James. But men's pair is, I think, another really, really good tight race to watch. So if you're looking for the, the sprint races and the races that are going to come down to the wire... I would say the men's pair is a good option because I think Spain looked like they've upped their game. The British looked so good. They were rowing, I think, technically rowing so nicely in the, in the pair. That's, you know, one of the better rows I've seen in a pair for, for quite a while. And Romania also looking so sharp. And, you know, Spain were a little bit off the pace at Europeans, a little bit behind uh, Romania and GB. But they've looked like they've upped their game. So I think this could turn into to a real humdinger. And you never know who else comes out the woodwork through the semifinal. I'm pretty sure that's your third race of the weekend that you're looking forward to, or the third one that you say is the race of the weekend. But yeah. anyway, we'll let that go. I'm not talking about... Um, well, there's, there's, two, there's two ways that I look at it as well. There's the racing where you're like, okay, this is going to be a tight race that I want to watch because the actual event is going to be exciting coming down the track. And then there's like a performance or a crew that I'm like... Wanna I want to see them rowing. Like Emma Even Twig, I want to see Emma Twig race, but I don't know if it's going to be the most amazing event. Exactly, exactly. Or like, uh, you know, the the L- Romanian women's double, they're going to probably crush and win by 10 seconds again, but it's always a good crew to, to watch come down the track. Yeah. And then the Croatians in the men's double looking super, super strong. Man, I, I'm sad that we had to watch those guys row the pair because I missed what we saw today. Like, oh, I mean, they're on another, they're on another level in the double. Martin, or uh, I think I don't know, it was Martin or Greg mentioned on the commentary that like it didn't look so polished at Europeans and looked a little bit sticky or a little bit disjointed. But what we saw today was a classy, classy row. The boat, like when they were looking at the other crews in the same video, I was like, we're not watching the same sport yet. These guys are born to row the double. Why did we have to watch them row this pair for four years? <laughs> Five. No, they're incredible. They're such incredible athletes. And I feel like they, they rise to the occasion so well as well. They know exactly what they need to do, how they need to do it. And they just kind of always embrace it. Just on the double, I walked, I was I oh. was missioning around and I swatched the creations and then I had a duck out and I walked past the TV when the Aussie men were going past and I took a double take. I stopped, I walked backwards, I looked back in the TV and I was like, that is sharp, that is smooth. Um, so uh, maybe not for the gold, but the Aussies definitely, definitely in the mix for um, for some fireworks. Uh, they certainly weren't up there on the top times, um, but they weren't under any pressure. So let's see, let's see how the week unfolds. Looking forward to the semifinals to see if they can they can turn that into a proper performance. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most out of this whole week of racing is seeing 
USA, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, like all these crews that like, we know that there's so many good crews and we've seen like touches of them around at the, the World Cups and, you know, at Henley, but nothing like major coming through. And, you know, World Champs is the time where now we get to see everyone put all their cards on the table. And I think it's it's going to be really, really cool. Can Canada's women's eight, you know, back up their, their win from Tokyo from last year? Can, you know, the New Zealand uh, girls, um, you know, carry on their form? Can the Australians beat the Australian women's four beat the the British women's four, which has been doing so well already this season? So there's so many what ifs and and questions around these these crews that we haven't seen. So I'm really looking forward to it. Huge one though, James. New Zealand, no eights. Yeah, I think this is the craziest thing that that project around the eight. They put so much into it. They haven't had a huge exodus of athletes from what I can see, um, but like just no men's eights, no women's eights. Like it's clearly like they know that like what they pulled off was like very difficult to do, and now they're back to basics, building up a big foundation. If they have the right bunch of athletes, they're going to do it. But it's not; it's different to the German setup where the whole system is like for years and years, uh, and the GB to some degree. But for years and years, the only focus has been the eight. You yeah, know? and it's just interesting that they were like, no, we don't have the. Maybe I'm assuming they didn't have the batch of athletes to back that they could pull it off and there was all those resources into one and it's a gamble and they're back to their bread and butter they're back to what they do best small boats spread spreading the talent mm. um, i think their men's section though they don't seem to be like quite as as strong as they've been in the past you know their pair didn't look amazing today they didn't win in the heat there and you know they'd never really have a good four so we'll see what their sculling side brings but, but I think the other they federations who just back themselves Oh yes. By the time you're getting here and you're seeing what's coming out here, this decision on the eight was made months oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, no, so for sure. It's it's just interesting that they've stepped away yeah. from the eight. If they'd stepped away and just the men or the women, you would just see it as a flow. But man, would we go into the Olympics without a defending Olympic champion in the eight? That would be a heck of a thing, eh? No, for sure. And like, so we've spoken a bit about the doubling up, and another really interesting double up is Romania's. I think it's Anela Kosmich. You sure that's what it is? No, I've absolutely no idea. I'm just butchering these names left, right, and center. <laughs> Usually I pass them off to Jake to help me out because Jake is kind of a bit more of a wordsmith than me. So um, I'll, I'll see uh, if I get any feedback on uh, on my pronunciation. But if you want to call me out on it, then you better best believe you better send me some voice notes with your own pronunciation. 100%. Then, but she's doubling up in the lightweight women's single and women's single. Yeah, this is mad. It's so crazy. It's such, and she was pretty good because she rode in the heavyweight single and um, at Europeans. But she must be like a natural. I, I, I get people transitioning from lightweight to heavyweight, and they put on a couple of kilos. They lose the stress of losing weight. They weren't a natural lightweight, and now they've transitioned to heavyweight. But to race both on the same weekend and still have the stresses of a lightweight, that's wild, man. I, 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 there are two things we are seeing here that I've never seen from lightweight. I feel I feel like Romania, they're like they're actually quite similar to um, to Italy. Like, kind of just throwing out some real humdingers out there every now and then. You know, Italy makes some rash decisions every now and then that you kind of look like at the and whole question. squad into the eight. <laughs> but the and now we we see Romania doing some some. I mean, that is a crazy entry. Um, I hope she makes a final in both. It would be so cool. Yeah, between Jackie and her, like 
those are just two epic double ups. Like, uh, it's a cool no. story and it's a cool thread. I'm really looking forward to see it play out. Could you have doubled up? There's no ways I would have doubled up at a at a World Cup. Or, like, I'm we just trying to think like why there's a difference between like so. There's so many women doubling up now. Like, it's a standard thing, you know. The w- four and eight, eight and pair scholars now, lightweights now. What boat class aren't they doubling up in at the moment? Women's heavy double. Uh, maybe that's it. I don't know. No, we need to have a look because the women's heavy Quite. double at Europeans, the Romanians raised the double and they raised the eight. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I've ne- it never crossed my mind to think that but we would be able to double up and none of my competitors know, ever doubled up. Maybe it's a cultural thing of, you know, maybe some of the women's teams weren't that big. So they had these strong athletes that they could put in the smaller boats that would win medals for them. And then they can double up because those athletes to are boost, good to, to boost, boost the eight, the eight. Yeah. and and the, and on the men's side, the eight is like such a big event by itself. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of but guessing on, on it's an opinion. Growing here. in popularity at the moment, 100. percent This doubling yeah. up thing is becoming. But I'm saying a maybe that's thing. how it started. Where like okay, yeah. you had good athletes in the eight that could go into a single or a double or a pair and to perform. In a weird way, it must pull the pressure off on certain things. You know, you got two shots at it. You've got two things mm. to in, like entertain your mind. If you, if the pair is not going so well, you know you focus on the four a little bit or the eight. Um, and if the eight's not going so well, you're like cool. So maybe like mentally, mm. it like it takes a bit of the edge off. You know. So uh, I think about that at like a local event. You know, like in South Africa, we would uh, we would double up. We would sometimes but four races in a day, but we but wouldn't do it at a World Champs. The other thing is that the, the the difference between the single and the and the eight is huge because the single you can have like. You can have up to five races in the week in the single, and in the w- in the eights you can have sometimes two, yeah. sometimes so not even, sometimes a race for lanes and then a heat, and then a, and then a final. And now you're gonna have um, you're gonna have two singles, two events. Yes. So I can't see one race where the women's field is has more entries than the men's field. So that's exactly it. So you've got less entries, you've got less semifinals, you've got less quarterfinals. That must make a huge yes, difference. Yes, but now Kosmic in the, the single, she's going to have lightweight women's single. That means all the way ins, semis, and going through, and then the women's single as well. It's just crazy. I'm just that saying that bad. it's just like, it's so impressive and it's really, really awesome. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm actually just enjoying women's rowing at the moment, I feel like, is. It's incredible. The racing that's going to come down the track is is going to be so, so good. Lightweight women's double, like pick of the weekend, what I'll definitely be watching. Certainly, I'll watch the sprint race. Lightweight women's double, I want to see how that unfolds. Um, lightweight men's double, I think the Irish will probably wrap that up. But for me, it's the women's racing. It's the lightweight women's and um, the, men's, the men's single and the lightweight women's double. Those are yeah. my two big ones for the weekend. So I think, James, I think that we're going to leave it there. Guys, remember, we're going to record another episode on Thursday and post it up. So that's where we'll maybe dig into a bit more of these results. But feel free, please send us messages, send us info. Our patrons, you guys the are Patreon group is alive. Guys, incredible. that's where like my, that's what keeps me in rowing is I keep hearing like these guys keep drawing you back in. The discussion's happening on there. Join the Patreon group. There's a WhatsApp group where there's lots of banter and there's really good insight on there. So so sign up, get involved. I, I really enjoy that piece of it. Yeah, to our new patrons over the last week, thanks so much. You guys have been amazing. And yeah, I mean, and to the South African team that's racing there, 
really good from the the pair today. Uh, they're looking strong going through. Um, Coast looked good as well today. Coast looked good. Tobelo, it looked like he also had a pretty good race. The four races tomorrow. So Jake is up to tomorrow, guys. So keep uh, an eye out for him. And yeah, we, we're holding thumbs for them. Obviously, it's a bit weird not being there, not racing. But uh, I'm sure they're going to be absolutely fine. So I think... Oh, and James, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Anytime. Yeah. That could be here. Always good to, to talk a bit of rowing. And actually, for once, we've gone over a little bit longer for the hype train. It's got nothing to do with my, <laughs> my arrival. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, enjoy yeah. the racing. Enjoy the racing. Let us know what you think. And we'll see you on Thursday. Ciao. We're out. <laughs>